Okay, there we are, the familiar music, and we're back again, and it's a uh, uh, Wednesday this time, and it would be dated the 3rd of July, day before the big day, and uh, Paul has joined us, and we're back on the air, and those little technical snafus have been hurdled, and all those things are behind us, taken care of. We forge ahead, Roger Sales, Radio Ranch, People's Patriot Network. Glad you're along for the ride. By the way, just at the start here, I, I plan on doing a show tomorrow. Um, for a number of reasons, uh, but so if uh, if good Lord willing and the server hooks up, we're on tomorrow. Hey, Paul. Hey, Chris is with us too. Yeah. Yep, there they are. Just, we are. I'm in the saddle. There you go, Chris. Is, is there something important happening tomorrow or what? Sorry, I'm English. I don't well, know it depends. It, 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 de- <laughs> it depends. It depends on your perspective, quite honestly. Uh, it should yeah. be a day uh, of of great commemoration of, of principles and great ideals. Uh, unfortunately, it's gotten a long way from that. Uh, I guess at the one tomorrow, they got Sherman tanks and uh, Abrams tanks and all this stuff rolling around Washington, some big military thing. Uh, I do have to tip my hat to Mr. Trump. He seems to be holding the neocons at bay and almost provoking them a little bit with this little thing that he did with Korea uh, uh, spontaneously over there a couple of days ago. I thought that was refreshing. Um, And uh, uh, there's a lot of reasons for tomorrow being special. Paul, I talked about it a bit. Maybe we were talking about it yesterday when we couldn't have a show. Here's what happened. The Skype still works. And all these guys are calling in, so all of a sudden I got six or eight guys on the on the line. I can't get connected to the server, so we just had a little 30, 40-minute meeting, did a little quilting session, didn't we, Chris? Yep. Indeed, we did for a fact. It was quite stimulating. And some of this may have been talked about on there, so if I, you know, pardon my memory if we're doubling up, but tomorrow's real important. Do you know in the early days of our uh, country, uh, you pro- you may not know this history, Paul. Of course, the great Thomas Jefferson and his uh, rival was John Adams. And they had, you know, Federalists, Anti-Federalists, and they had a huge rivalry, almost down to hatred. But then later on in life, they became, uh, respected each other. Uh, do you know this history? No. Okay, this, this is very interesting, okay? And uh, to, uh, as they became elderly, uh, it was almost a, a highly respect of the other in a rivalry type situation, but friends. And uh, in the last letter that was written, uh, I believe it was Adam says, Jefferson outlives me. And what happened, Jefferson had died an hour before, and they both died on the same day, and it was July the 4th. Now, as as interesting as that story is, and moving kind of, um, my teacher, who I hold in such high esteem, John Benson, uh, John, uh, Glenn and I both believe he willed his death 
uh, on July the 4th. And I'm, I'm, I don't remember if it was three or four years ago, but it's very, very recent. And, uh, and that, and, and we always felt that he, he literally willed himself through the last couple of days and weeks of his life so he could die on that day because he knew the significance of the story I just told you. So, uh, right. Uh, it's interesting. July's a big month for me in a number of different reasons. It's my birthday, my patriot birthday, my grandfather and father's birthday, and uh, all the stuff that happens in July. I think the first day I did a show on my own was uh, July 30, 31st, uh, a number of years back. So uh, it's got a lot of significance for me. So we just kind of covered that. But this July 4th thing tomorrow, for those reasons particularly, um, now, the other things that are happening, significant when I said it depends on your perspective. Evidently, Antifa and all these left-wing wackos that have come out of the friggin' woodwork over the last couple of years, um, mm-hmm. they want to attack some of these 4th of July. And this I read in the article. Just I wanted to talk, talk about this because it's the mindset of these creeps. Okay. They have a new method. They got a substance called muric acid. Do you know about that? No. It's a it's a stuff you can buy at the store that cleans tiles and tough cleaning jobs and stuff. It's pretty abrasive, you know, pretty strong acid. And that in yeah. itself will burn your skin and stuff. But what they've got is some kind of new technique where they mix it with wax. Some, and the wax must be hot or something. They fill balloons or something, and they throw it, and the wax sticks to you, and it takes the muric acid into your system and causes can cause cardiac arrest and severe burns. Now, that's the tactics that these Bolshevik Trotskyite bastards are going to because I don't know what else to call them. That's what they are. Those, are those, those, are their, those and these are their tactics. Yes. Yeah. It is their tactics. I mean, it's, uh... Do what, Chris? His phone. When you start to talk, it gives us garble stuff, and then as you talk, it seems to straighten out. We may have to take a contribution and get Chris a new phone. Chris, what were you going to say? You shall know them by their works. Yeah, by their fruits, I think it says. Uh, and their fruits are rotten, and they're pretty obvious to everybody. This is going to play in our hand big time, too, guys. We're at a real fork in the road, and what we're seeing right now is this world economy changing right underneath us, and the old system is going away, okay? And and what's happening is the way that software and computer power, computing power, uh, overcame and, and totally transformed the long distance and the local phone systems over the last number of years. And that exact type of thing is happening in the financial system right now. Uh, Jack, Jack, right before the show, sent me this little article. I didn't even really get to look at it, but I'll just read what he, what it says here. I think you get it across. Canada's crypto exchange, Con, Con Square, Coin Square, invests in software allowing users to buy crypto directly through ATMs. I see. That's a big jump, kids, right there. It is. You know, Rod, I told you I've seen machines that were terminals, uh, like kiosk or uh, ATM machines, uh, 
doing Bitcoin yep. just recently in the last three or four weeks in Las Vegas in a convenience store. Yep. So this is coming, and I'm sure it's going to be carrot coins the, and other cryptos and maybe BitClub Network too. The last year and a half when we've been through the Bitcoin winter, and we were on here every week saying the foundation's being built, don't let up. Don't lose sight of this, et cetera, et cetera. Now you're seeing the fruits of the last year and a half when that price was low. Because what happens is when the price starts going up, the people that are working on foundational things get so swamped and the whole system gets so overloaded, they can't concentrate on their work. I was heard Andre Antonopoulos talking about it. And yet when the price goes down, then they got time to do all that. Let me plug this, by the way, while I'm thinking about it right now. Um... I talked about the other day, there's this real new three-hour Andre Antonopoulos uh, interview that I saw recently. It's relatively new, and it's called The Future of Money. Uh, and it's very well done interview, and the guy lets him talk. And I was so impressed when I heard it this weekend, I shot it to Greg. And Greg has uh, uh, got the audio, grabbed the audio track off of that. And we're going to have it to drop in. We're going to start it to this afternoon after Jim Ram's show. So if you're, you want to stay tuned, you want to listen to Jim after us, and you want to stay tuned for that, it's an exceptionally good interview. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the things that we're talking about, he's talking about on that tape. But that's one of the things I got out of it. So we're at a, new, at a time where, as Bo Polney said, the old system is starting to fall away, and we're starting to move from the new system from here on. Okay. Not there won't be a bump or a jag or a twist and a turn, but from now on, we're starting to change systems and we're at that really early point because it's June, July right now that it's happening as the, the foundational term. You know, Paul, I used to, I use this to illustrate to people. You know, those big oil tankers, those 300 foot, foot long ones, they're bombing over in the straits or moves these days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when those guys are out there on the high seas... That's right, one of those big boys. When those guys are out there on the high seas and they're going to make a turn, do you know when they start their turn? I think it's about six miles, isn't it, before they have to make it or something? Ten. Ten. Okay, I knew it was quite a hole. Okay. Yeah. And that big inertia that's sitting there going through the water, you just can't turn that on a dime. And the analogy, of course, is over to the financial system. Paul, what's been going on with you, buddy? Um, well, uh, I don't know. Maybe not a lot. Maybe a lot. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm just scanning my mind here. July the 4th. Let's just stick on this for a second or two, maybe, because I've got, a, I, I do have a reason for paying a great deal of attention to July the 4th, but not necessarily for the reasons that Americans would understandably pay attention to it. Um, I think I may have sent you some information through the other day. The uh, the free speech wars, as I call them, nothing original about that. I'm sure I'm not the only person calling it that. But the free speech wars are well underway, um, as we all know. And um, last week, there was an announcement by Gab, which I don't know if I've spoken oh. about them here too much, but m maybe people will be familiar with it. So there's, there's a website called gab.com. GAB.com, and it got going a couple of years ago. And uh, last year, I think during that first wave of great deplatformings, they lost their domain name and all sorts of other things and were treated in a rather rough and ready manner by the, the usual culprits. But they recovered pretty quickly and got their site back up and running again. Well, 
um, since then they've they've they did a rather disruptive thing uh, a few months back. They created this little app called Dissenter, um, and for example, the BBC, one of my favourite organisations, as you're all well aware. Um, if you go to the BBC's website, bbc.co.uk, you cannot now, nor have you ever been able to post comments there. They don't, they don't allow it, you see. Um, but when you have this little dissenter app or extension built into your browser, uh, you can. You can post comments. And, uh, of course, comments are only posted by everybody else that's using this application. Anyway, the, the comments on the BBC main web page are just delightful <laughs> they're delightful they're extremely encouraging to the likes of me because everybody wants to see that organization literally burnt to the ground i, I think no one would have shed one tear <laughs> if it was literally destroyed tomorrow morning by plague locusts fire bombs anything no one would care because uh, most of the intelligent people that are using dissenter uh, are fully aware of the damage that that organisation is wielding minute by minute, day by day, upon the minds of, of British people. So, so well, it, not, it hey, for a very disruptive. Not only British, yeah. they reach all over the world. The BBC. Unfortunately, yes, the Bolshevik Brainwashing Corporation, as yep. I refer to them, because good, that, that good really label. is what they've morphed into. Yep, and. Um, that's their business. They're involved in the brainwashing business, and they do it in such a nice way. That's what makes it so effective. You see, it's all very, it's all very well mannered and very well studied. The way that it, it goes on, anyway. Um, so I've rather delighted in all of this, this sort of development. Um, and uh, just to give you a, a, here's a little flavour of some of the ones on that homepage. I mean, you can comment on any page you like, but I quite like this one. Never pay a penny to these paedophile traitors and perverts again. Cancel your direct debits and save yourself £150 a year because I think it may be still of interest to people in America to note that we are compelled by positive law, that is you must do this to pay a licence fee to watch television. Yep. Now there was so, a, yeah, there was a okay. very interesting case over there a couple of years and the guy won his case if I remember correctly where he challenged that on 9-11 and took the Building 7 uh, tapes in there Correct. into court and he got out of it, didn't he? He did. In fact, it happened in a court about 25 miles from where I'm sat. And uh, a regional court wasn't up in London. And basically, under their charter of news reporting, they are supposed to provide a fair and balanced uh, set of news reports on events. And uh, he basically pointed out that they were obviously manipulating the news because of the footage of the reporter, a female reporter, I've forgotten her name now, on the, on the morning of the event... She announced live on British television that Building 7 had just collapsed, which was extremely interesting to everybody as it was stood in the background of the shot. As she was <laughs> right. <laughs> and it went down 20 minutes later. Right? Now, you uh, know, um, let's just yeah. use that point for a minute. I'd like to illustrate how our enemies, as snide, tricky, deceitful as they are, they get into these complex situations like that. And these kind of things yeah. happen, and the people are sharp enough, they're picking up on them, see? Yeah, they are. Well, I mean, he won his, he won his case, and uh, you could use that as the basis to have everybody in the UK stop participating in paying for their own brainwashing, okay? But, but the point I would make is that there's no point doing it singly, even though it's obviously sound and honourable advice to tell people to stop paying this thing. 
the repercussions back on, on people can be considerable. Uh, and it turns out that the vast majority of people that don't pay the TV license or the ones that are prosecuted are old women. They pick on old age pensioners. Of course, to the, of course. You know, I mean, it's just it just gets worse. You know, you just look at this, you go, wow, you know, and you work there. <laughs> you actually think that is, you know, we think good of you. I mean, so uh, it, you like- I've mentioned before, the only way to deal with it would be to organize a consumer pressure group. Uh, a bit like a crowdfunding thing, and say, I will stop paying my BBC TV license if one million other people join me and do it likewise. One, you get a million stopping doing it, we kill it. It'll, do, it's do, over, it's finished. Do they deliver the bill at the house there, or is it billed automatically to your account, set up somehow? How do they handle it? Both? They just. I think in most cases, they run direct debits you know, on people's accounts. Mm-hmm. And people will pay a monthly fee of about twelve pounds or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certain old age pensioners, people above the age of sixty five or whatever, can get an exemption. But they want to get rid of that exemption. But but we really just want to get rid of the BBC. I mean, uh, if it, it provides if, no value. If they actually still you know. send out bills, you could forward them. I know you can forward letters, and it used to could in our system, and just forward them all yeah. over to the Israeli embassy. Let the other yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. the damn <laughs> that's what the mouthpiece yeah. is for. Why don't they just let them pay for it? They don't like to pay yeah, for yeah, any yeah. of their stuff. No, no, absolutely Wait. right. Hold yes. it, there's Chris. Come on in, bud. Well, I was just wondering if Paul. He seems to have such a strong affection for his lamestream media over there. The yep. MI6, that would be the Mossad Israeli Six, Mockingbird media, like our CIA controlled media here in. Uh, which is really the Zio controlled media around the globe, I think, if I'm uh, assessing his it is. love of their Yeah. You know, the yeah. only people that watch CNN anymore are people in airports <laughs> waiting for planes. <laughs> yeah, they do. I mean, it's just a dead duck, isn't it, of an organization? <laughs> I mean, let, let me read it. Here's, here's a little, here's a nice little quote from somebody going, um, maybe his genuine name, Chris Bacon. I quite like that. This is a sizzling little comment. He writes, this is also via dissenter and on the BBC side. He just writes very simply, always ask yourself, is this true or did you hear it on the BBC? And I quite like that. And uh, so anyway, look, just, just coming back to this dissenter thing, they released it as an app which you can plug into most Chromium browsers. Not You could pro- plug it into Chrome, but I wouldn't recommend anybody uses Chrome. It's a massive – Google's really not good company anymore, right, if it ever was, but it's certainly pretty bad now. So Chromium is the open-source version of, of that browser, and it's a much better proposition. Um, but what they've done this week is they've – they actually – or last week, they released their own browser, which has got this app built in. And uh, I've been using it for about four or five days, and I've already made it my default browser uh, because it's based on another browser called Brave, which people may have heard of, which has been developed over the last uh, few years. And it's worth talking. I know these are sort of technical things, but they are directly linked with free speech. And the history of Brave is also uh, worthy of of a mention here. Now, I can't remember the name of the guy that created Firefox, the browser, but there is a main developer there. And he was part, he was a big cheese in the Mozilla Foundation that was responsible for Firefox and still is, I believe. No, you know um, who anyway, oh, you know who bought Firefox, it, Mozilla? Yeah, so- Georgie Porgy, yep. Pudding and Pie. Soros yep. did, yep, for the audience. Go uh, so- ahead, I'm sorry. 
No, no, it's okay. So you may, you probably will remember, I think there's been more than one incident of this type, but I certainly remember one where a Christian bakery, somewhere in the Midwest, I think it was, yes. uh, one morning had the misfortune to have two sodomites walk through the door Denver. and ask, to, yeah, ask them to bake a cake. And they said, no, we won't be doing that. <laughs> We're a Christian bakery and we don't go along with all this nonsense. Bye. So they prosecuted this bakery, you know, and they may have even shut it shut it down, you know, knowing the sort of uh, support that they were likely to get from all the brain dead, uh, you know, elite mm -hmm. stratus, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this the guy that heads up Mozilla sided publicly with the bakery owners because he too is of a Christian persuasion. Let's put it that way. He's He has a conviction in this way, which is good. So he got fired from Mozilla, his own organization, the board. The board removed him and they kicked him out. This is about three years back, but he's got a very good reputation. So he built this browser called Brave. And um, he's had a few teething problems over the last couple of years but it, now most of those are ironed out and it's very useful because it blocks most cookies it blocks advertising and it maintains a much higher level of security for you when you're online i'm not saying it's perfect we know that this is a moving sort of target you know with all this kind of stuff but it's a very good it's a very good browser and anyway dissenter which is part of the gab empire as it were have used brave as the basis for this for this new browser so um i'm plugging it because i think it is a good thing and this is a good organization chromium is the name of the new browser no the name of the new browser is literally dissenter they have oh, come okay. out with a browser now called dissenter d-i-s-s-e-n-t-e-r and uh it's it's very good I, it's very, very good. In fact, you can run Skype in it uh, on web Skype fully with all the audio and everything, and not not many browsers will actually do that effectively. So it's worth noting. Now, all this is a preamble to the main thing that's happening tomorrow, because what's going to happen tomorrow with them as an organisation is something that I think. I don't want to get too over the top, but it's a serious game changer. And I'm glad. Obviously, I think they've intentionally picked the Fourth of July, both you know as a symbolic. Uh, and and very useful day on which to launch this. So, um, people that are familiar with Twitter, Gab is similar to Twitter, but not exactly the same. But it's a similar sort of instant messaging, getting followers, blah 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 type thing. And there's about a million account holders currently, just under a million account holders on Gab, which is a lot. But compared to the billion or so, I suppose on Twitter, not many. However, what they're doing tomorrow. Um, is they're changing the structure of their network. I know this sounds a bit boring, but actually the end the end results for us are going to be, I think, could be fantastic. So what they're going to do is they're going to decentralize their entire system. So instead of it being on a sort of central block of servers, which are all in one location, which they manage and deal with, they will still retain that. But anybody can now build a uh, a server that's part of the Gab network which will augment it. And because the people that are on Gab are actually not the sort of people that post pictures of cats and are, in fact, people that ask questions about things, right, I am um, suspect you're going to see an awful lot of these servers set up pretty quickly, tens, hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of them over the next few months. It's highly likely that this could happen. Can we utilize, and, uh, can we, can we utilize yeah, that yeah, here? I'm, 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 
as soon as the code's out tomorrow or whatever they're doing, I'll be setting one up because uh, I was playing around with the basic backend code about a month ago, not even knowing that they were going to do this because I'm always looking at these social networking things. So it's a, it's basically a distributed network, and it means each each server, each organization, each little group can have their own fiefdom on their own server, but you are also part of the wider connectivity through Gab. Now, there's a, it, it's really very, very powerful sort of situation because it means you can't get deplatformed and people need to stop crying about Facebook and YouTube and all this other junk that came out over the last 15 years. I mean, and look at what the model is. You're familiar with it looking at the newspaper, the, the, the ownership in newspapers. They come out, they, they pumped all this money into YouTube as a lost leader for years. They bought it up. Everything that they've been doing in the internet sphere, I remember if you go back to the 90s, oh, they're, you know, they're shelling out this, they're losing hundreds of millions, but it's all going to be worth it in the end. Well, of course, what they were after is getting everybody's eyeballs fixated on them and their organizations. And then they changed the ground rules. That's what's been going on that's for the last the, year and a half. That's the, that's the Albert Pike Mazzini model. Infiltrate the institutions and then turn them around on them. It's the same deal. Absolutely, it's the same deal. So I'm sure that's that's a familiar uh, idea to most listeners here, you know. But uh, with the net, they can't do it. I, I mean, I'm just, I've always, I, I'm convinced they can't do it. That the, Their last line of attack will be to literally cut you off from your ISP. That's what they would seek to do. Now, I think that um, that will be a more protracted and difficult process for them to undergo. I really do, for all sorts of reasons. And I think that there'll even be answers to that. You, I reckon there'll be ways around that because uh, if people are denied access to the internet, it's a bit like being denied access to public transport or being denied access to a telephone line. In the modern world, it's not viable. Um, it's actually, you could say, I think it's interfering with your human rights, which, you know, I don't I kind of go along with, but we'll make use of the United Nations whilst they're ligging around talking rubbish. Well, there's... But, um, there's certain things you can use to, the, to your advantage. Now, I wanted to, in retro, retrospect, just for a second, I wanted to ask you, query you on something. You brought up the bakers out there in Denver. Do you know yep. on what grounds they brought that? No, I don't. The 14th Amendment. Right. See, because of the way they've got it there, the sodomy stuff, when they passed those laws and all that stuff, or at least gave the court rulings, those were based on the 14th Amendment's uh, uh, protections. And that's how they can reach out all the way from D.C. because you told them you're a resident and you were born into the presumption of this system and nobody had, had has told them otherwise, so they're going to presume that's what it is and roll forward with the uh, the velvet glove. Right. Right. Well, it's it's interesting how this thing has come back. So maybe if you look back on those those court things a couple of years ago, it it appeared a poor situation for people on this side. But now what's occurred is they've they irritated the man at Mozilla um, so that he created Brave. Andrew Torber, who heads up Gab, is also defines himself as a Christian. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say any other things than that because I don't know exactly what type or flavor, neither am I concerned about that. What I know is he's absolutely a champion for free speech. And this is actual free speech. It's not about we're going to pass a law to stop your free speech. What you do is you basically have a technological situation where it doesn't matter what they say. 
We're not interested in what you say. We're not, you know, well, we're going to pass a law that says you can't say this. Well, go on, keep saying that, but we're going to carry on. I've never set and, up an account at one of these things before voluntarily. I've had some people do it for me, you know, uh, under the auspices. Uh, but this I may I may do. It sounds like it's something that we should use for the show. One, of the, if it's a Twitter-like deal, and uh, and we could certainly use it for the entire network. Plug it in and. Uh, Sounds like the kind of wagon you want to hop up on. Well, I think so, uh, Roger. I think it could turn out. I mean, let's give it a few weeks. I'll, I'll be trying it straight off, and I'll report back here and elsewhere with my views of it. And there are other people who probably have even more intelligent yeah. and, and in-depth understandings of it. But you know, in terms of the listeners here and the focal point on stuff, it, it could add a tremendous amount to sort of extending the connection with, with the audience in a secure way and doing it, supporting an organisation that is absolutely committed to free speech. Because yeah. no matter where our differences may lie, if that goes, we're not even going to have the luxury of arguing with one another. And uh, I don't think it is going to go, by the way. I just think it's going to keep moving around. We're like water. No matter what they put in, we're just going to yeah. well, move around it like water. It happens always. They they try and achieve total control, like putting the half the half glass dome down over the boom on the table, right? And But yeah. as they start to get it almost all the way down, they can't because they don't have that power. And something always spurts out to the side, and nature abhors a vacuum, and they create their own worst enemies, and it always comes back and bites them. That's what's happened mm -hmm. every time in history, every time, to my knowledge, no exception. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, it's never been more telling. I just think that they... I'm sure they do understand a lot of stuff. I mean, you also have to look at the migration of a lot of software development to Israel. Oh, it's like sickening. Microsoft. It's sickening. Yeah, but I mean, it shows you what's really taking. Sure. Whoever, if we wind it back, whoever was controlling the the money was controlling the tech companies. They can, if you control the money, you control anything. Oh, we're really good at technology. That'll get us out of it. Or we're really good at this. Or we're really good at that. Forget it. You, Who's in charge of the money? Who's in charge of the money? Right. That's who you're working for. Um, and so they just let these things flourish and then move them back, don't they? So, um, but I, I'm I, not sort of defeatist about it, Roger. Let me I'm tell you this story. I don't know if I've ever told you this before. I got a dear, one of my oldest friends. His name's Steve, and he was working uh, down in Florida, and as he was going down there, he stopped in around Saint, around Jacksonville, St. Augustine, have lunch. It's someplace mm -hmm. he really likes to eat, you know? And so he's in there eating, and he looks out the window. He's looking out. There's another store over there that's got some really unique stuff. And, and what the guy did was he, he'd end up buying old wine casks and stuff and made furniture out of them custom furniture and so steve was kind of enthralled with that and after lunch he walked over there to talk to him and he's just talking to the guy and the guy that's the manager of the stores he's saying ah yeah the owner man he's like real this real heavy tech savvy guy and he goes he says do you know that if you register your your company in israel that you'll come at the top of the google search results Say that again, Roger. Say that again. This is what the guy that ran that store told my friend. He said, if you register your company in Israel, you'll automatically yeah. come up at the top of the Google search results. <laughs> 
Say that again. No, no, all right, no, I will. I will because <laughs> I want say it again. I want it, it to sink in. If he's saying he's explaining to my friend about how the guy that owns this business is so tech savvy and so smart and sharp, obviously had nice products and a good line. And he said, just casually gives him this in the conversation. He says, in the form of a question, kind of, did you know if you register your company? Let's even elaborate on it. In Satan's sandbox, the little bastard country of Israel over there, that you will automatically show up at the top of Google search results. Lovely. <laughs> well, okay. That's it. I'll just be doing the paperwork after the show. I just say, today. look, just refer them over to the BBC. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> you see, I, on one level, it's not so much what they do that's a problem. I mean, obviously it is. The main problem is that so many people actually just pay attention to it and think that it's true. That's the problem. It, it, I don't mind them saying stuff. I, I mean, I've said it here before, I think, you know, we don't want to shut liberals up. Because I just think they're the gift that never stops giving. Oh, they Every are. time they open their mouth, you just go, wow, that's amazing. You're even more demented and stupid than we actually even thought. Keep on talking, you know. But they want to shut us up. This is the difference, right? We are completely for them continuing to speak. Because if they are allowed to continue to speak and people are allowed to continue to critically listen to them, that's the key thing, right? then it will become unavoidable, uh, the sheer lack of intelligence in everything that they're proposing and the sheer, well, destructive uh, direction that they're, they're taking everything in. Because that's all they are. It's like a reactive bunch of, of little adolescent, sick, vicious, vile, bloodletting demons. I mean, they're just nutcases. But uh, the way they do it is that they only drop it in, don't they, drop by drop, so that no one can really sort of piece the whole thing together. So I want them to keep on talking. Uh, anyway, we shouldn't be overly concerned. We've got these tools. We're going to have more of them. It's down to us. I keep saying I think we respond better as a people, uh, as a culture, when we are faced with building a positive as opposed to opposing a negative. I agree. And if we build we, – we just do. We just go, oh, yeah. Look, do you want to sort all this out? I go, no, I didn't make that mess, but I'll tell you what, I can build you this from scratch and look at this. Let's go. Then our energy starts to flow and we're, we're kind of with it. So I think um, – uh, these things are encouraging. They're definitely encouraging, yeah. and, and I'm looking forward to, to having them. There's more on the way. There's well, all sorts of stuff. There's there's decentralized networks. There's there's artificial intelligence networks. There's the distribution uh, the distribution of data as dust. Literally, you could distribute it as dust particles almost throughout the internet. And regather it as and when you need it. And no one can shut it down because no one knows where it is located. If you cannot locate a thing, you can't stop a thing. And this is what it's all about, making a gateless a gateless network. And once there's no gates on it, you can't have any gatekeepers. And, and it, you know, so the technology is very important. And that, in our ability and that, and to continue. I'm going to tell you what, this is where digital currency falls right in, too, because that's part of it. And it it's so exciting and encouraging, it encouraged Jim Ram to call. Hey, Jimbo. Hey, how you doing, guys? <laughs> you know, it's Jim. funny. I'm, uh, just as you guys are uh, talking about the liberal stuff, I'm out here in a barn shoveling horse manure. <laughs> I just had to call in. <laughs> 
<laughs> I uh, I posted a meme on my Facebook page last night that I think fits right into what you're talking about. It's a guy and his wife sitting at the uh, dining room table. He's looking at the paper and he says, uh, "Democrat or something like, um, oh, uh, abortion on demand and uh, free health care for." Uh, illegal aliens, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And he says, what have the Democrats become? And the woman says, the committee to reelect the president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly right. The more they talk, the more votes Trump gets. You that's know? true. That's that's the way things are going. Uh, and I, I mean, there's a, lot, call in with that one. there's a lot of, of, yeah. of Latinos and blacks that are shifted over to Trump. It, it's just, and I, I totally agree with Paul. Let, As I've always said, give a monkey enough rope and he'll hang himself every time. Yeah. Yep. I'm trying to get Jethro to chime in because he's right here with me, but he's uh, <laughs> yeah, he's quiet today. He's not. He, gonna, he's not he, saying anything. He yeah. under he understands. <laughs> he, he, un- earlier. he understands the gravity of the situation. Jim, did you know that the carrot bark coin got up, up to almost twelve five last night? Really? Yes, oh, sir. Oh my goodness. Here, now awesome. the, I wanted to add this because this is, I saw this a year, yeah, maybe boy. a year and a half ago. Is that? Uh, Bitcoin and all the cybers had a had a Jim. Could you stick mute on that thing? We're getting a tremendous amount of that. Yeah, sorry about that. Your break. Jethro ate all the cat's food and I had to refill it. <laughs> okay. I'll put it on mute. Okay. Well, this is interesting. You're gonna you're gonna like this this uh, background. About a year and a half ago, there was only one or two gold backed coins out there, and it was one of those days when Bitcoin and the cyber market space had a bad day, bad hair day. And that was the only coin that was up that day. It was up 25%. And the same thing happened yesterday. When Bitcoin and the cybers took a hit down to around 10, uh, that's when the carrot bar coin shot up almost 40% yesterday. Right. Okay. Interesting. All right. So big yep. things big things ahead for this project. They're going to – that's another thing about tomorrow as Chris knows, he's out there. They're having a, a one-day huge announcement day in Las Vegas tomorrow at Planet Hollywood on all of this whole program back in this coin. And, I mean, they have really put together a program and a platform here. All right? Did Paul, are you worried about 5G? You know that they've, they've got a phone. Yep. They've developed the only world's dual blockchain. They did it with a Romanian blockchain expert, and they have went then went to Sony, and and contracted with Sony, and they've built this phone. It's the world's only dual blockchain phone. It does not hook up through Wi-Fi or 5G. It hooks up through the satellite, uh, uh, satellite telecommunications network somehow, and it's a little bit high. It's a little pricey. It's about 1,200 bucks in that range, but. It's only six euros a month ever, and you got total privacy on everything you do, end to end. That's pretty impressive, man. Okay. Yeah, there's going to be. I think you know it's always useful to keep eyes open for technical uh, developments that we can see uh, could be of benefit to us. I mean, you know, you know from some of my comments in the past that I am 
slightly circumspect about the whole of the cryptocurrency thing. But actually, it's not really the whole of it. It's just certain things that are championed by the, the incumbent powers. These things, it, it does concern me. But there again, you could say that, that they tend to infiltrate everything. They weren't around in the early days of the Internet. They weren't bothered about that because they, all their attention and energy was where their power still resided, which was in controlling the mainstream media. But as it's faded, they've simply brought their resources to buy up what's been developed here. This is always the way it goes. Yep. But um, that said, you know, my concerns about it, there is always room and there always will be room for some new mousetrap to come along yep. and everybody goes, oh, this guy's just done this and it totally invalidates well, everything. <laughs> so, you know, we better shift with it quickly. That's, that's going to continue to go. Bob, Bob, did you join us? Is that you? Sounds like you're in the bus lane there. Oh, that's rough. Who just joined? Who joined us? Is in the bus lane. I thought it was Bob, but I don't. Oh, my phone went off mute by itself. I apologize. I didn't touch it. It was laying there, and it uh, opened up. Okay. Hey, Bob. Well, I bet you're happy. Well, now he mutes out. I bet you're happy about the carrot bar coin. What's happening? Let me tell you what else is going on with this thing. They've developed their own vending machine. You like an ATM or a BTM, and it dispenses. Yeah. 24 karat gold in that cash gold format, the currency format where they've got subgram sizes, uh, mm-hmm. 0.1 gram, 0.2 gram, 0.4, and 0.6, I think. And they got several anyway, if that's not exact. And as of tomorrow, and those things are going to be placed all over the world, okay? because they go into private mm-hmm. establishments, the people pay for them, and they get a percentage off of the usage of it. But as of starting tomorrow, and they'll start it tomorrow in Las Vegas, you could take your carrot bar coins and cash in 100 of those coins for a gram of 24 karat gold. Well... Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Now let's put that in perspective. At even at twelve cents, a hundred would be twelve dollars, and you'd be getting twelve uh, a gram of gold, twenty-four karat purest gold in the world for twelve dollars. Then let me ask the next question: Don't you think they expect the price of the coin to go up? Because <laughs> yeah. that's a standing <laughs> offer worldwide. Okay, so anyway, big things coming for carrot bars. I mean, they got billionaires behind them, huge uh, uh, European. You know, they're they're in Germany right there. Harold Seitz, year before last, I think, was named in the top 100 entrepreneurs in the country of Germany. So a lot of those heavy German corporations that carry a lot of global muscle have been aware of this for a long time, held their, their corporate offices. They share the same building with Mercedes-Benz World truck headquarters all right and so Mm -hmm. there's big things in the future for this i'm real real tickled and and i think they can really help establish a gold standard and not only that a cyber gold standard uh around the world as they grow it's going to be a big deal they got some big people jumping into this right now and so uh it's, it's got a bright future it's really exciting Uh, Many of our listeners participated. Bob is one of them. Bob, don't you like to hear all that news? Yeah, quite quite tickled to watch that yesterday. Um, Something I was going to bring to light, I came on and it was a terrible, 
bunch of noise that I didn't hear when I was listening on the internet. And when I got on with the phone, I couldn't stand it. So I just dropped the call and hoped when I called back, it'd be better. So anyway, yes, it is. Um, what I was going to point out is I watched this particular, everybody's probably got their favorite. I just found one that I like and I stick with it. It's world coin index, yep. world coin index. Yep. And when I went to the all time high function, and I went through the first 10 pages, with our, which are 100 coins apiece, so 1,000 coins. Every single one was red, as in it is lower than its all-time high, except carrot gold. Yep. Carrot KBC. It was the only one of 1,000 coins, unless my eyes deceived me. You know, I kind of got bleary-eyed on the last 700. But I didn't see anything that was green except that one coin, and I thought that was rather impressive. It is. I mean, look, I, I told you all a year ago, I said, get into this, do this. This company's special. This is really something, and I'm glad to see it panning out. And honestly, I wouldn't have expected anything else simply because I know them. I've been around them. I've seen where they work. I've been with them at work. I've been with them at play. And as I told the audience the other day, Paul, this is really, of all my entire professional working career, which has spanned many decades, and with a lot of different companies and and, and things. It, this is the two companies that reek of class. Carrot Bars is one of them. The other was Infinity Records, the last uh, corporate record job I had, where they, they had their right. kickoff party, their announcement party for the label. They rented the New York City Library and had their party there. It was one of these, right. one of these real flamboyant Edomites. His name was Ron Lexenberg. Uh, it was the head of the company. You probably have never heard that name before. Have you ever heard of Epic Records? Yes, I've got some musical bums. Sorry, okay. music albums on the Epic label. Well, yes. he was I've a Chicago. He was a Chicago street guy with ears, and worked his way up to CBS there in New York and did good work for him. Uh, and they gave him this little label called Epic that did t 22 million a year, and he took it to a little label that did 220 million a year. That's Ron Alexander. Right. Signed right. Dan Fogelberg, Sly and the Family Stone, all that stuff that was on a Cheap Trick, all those years. That was all Ron Alexander. <laughs> Yes, so what's that? The 70s and the 80s and the early 90s, that yeah. kind of period, is yeah. it? 70s, actually. But mm -hmm. I've been reminiscing about my record business days here lately. These memories keep coming to my mind. Uh, speaking of, I wanted to ask you, what did you think of, of the uh, uh, baseball coming over there to sleepy London town? It was bonkers, mate. It was bonkers. I don't know what. What did you make of it? It was absolutely ridiculous. The the I mean, we had it live on TV, um, and the first match, the first game on Saturday, lasted just eight minutes short of five hours for a regular nine inning game. Five hours for a nine inning game. 
Well, they were, have you seen the stats? You know how many pictures yeah. they went through? They went through 16 pictures each or something. I mean, it's just it's, it's bizarre. Well, so I don't know what was going on. I mean, maybe there was so, – uh, it actually looked quite good. I actually thought my main concern was, well, obviously centre field is going to be too short. And, of course, it was. I think it was only 385 feet, uh, which is shorter than even in Boston or wherever. You know, it's very short. They, they put some kind of screening up. So I think – I think the pitchers were so nervous about putting anything near the plate um, because they thought it'd just get tagged out um, that they pitched really badly. And then in the first in the first inning, both uh, both pitchers were actually replaced during the first inning. <laughs> it was just I'm going. This in baseball. What is this? What well, am I watching? I what was the final score? 17-14 or something? No, it was no, like a, no. A no. football score. It was 17-13, and my immediate question oh, was, sorry. was who scored the winning <laughs> touchdown? I know. It's just – I mean, everybody seems to be having a great time. It actually looked pretty weird and strange. I mean, because it's the Olympic Stadium. That's that's what they'd done. The, the, uh, when we had the Olympics here in 2012, it then became a football ground for the Hammers, or West Ham United as they're known, and uh, which used to be a sort of archetypical Cockney club. They used to be a great, great team. Uh, did West Ham in the 60s. They were one of the best teams in England a long time back, 1960s. Good grief. I'm sure my age now. But... Uh, the uh, they then retransformed it back into a baseball pitch, uh, even shipping in the dirt from the particular part of America where they supply all the dirt for the infield. <laughs> so you know there was an obsessive and rather uh, satisfying attention to detail with it. Um, but the score was bizarre. It, it really was very very strange. I think everybody enjoyed it a lot. I believe the Cubs and the Cardinals are coming back next year, similar sort of time frame. Um, but uh, I don't know what it was. It was kind of sort of souped up baseball i was going to say to you look that's how you need to have baseball you want plenty of runs come over to england they just get booking oh, runs yeah, for yeah. some reason yeah yeah it increases so your bizarre. batting yeah it's great for your batting average uh the cubs next year they've already got next year i heard them talking about this on the college world series and next year you've got the cubs and the and the st louis cardinals but let me i just refreshed right. zero hedge here let me read you the new top five stories <laughs> i'm just okay. gonna read the headlines okay the first one is, is 2019 the new 1987? The second one is Deutsche Bank's restructuring plan to cost a staggering 5 billion euros. All of the middle managers and people at Deutsche Bank in New York are just walking off in the city and going having lunch and ice cream and nobody's paying attention to anything. Here's the next one, and this leads to another thing I wanted to mention too, Paul, earlier. Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp users report major outages worldwide, Europe and eastern United States, northeastern United States. Do you know they're proposing getting rid of all the encryption in the U.S. on all the messaging services. Have you seen that floated? No. Okay, that was floated. No. All right, next one. Cuba studying <laughs> cryptocurrency to dodge U.S. sanctions, says government. How about that, Ben? Cuba considering cryptocurrency to dodge U.S. sanctions. Yep, yes? and uh, you know they're all doing that. Uh Iran's Iran, I saw the other day, Iran has a real unique situation over there. They give out free electricity. They're so, you know, energy right. prosperous. And yeah. everybody was hopping on the band on the Bitcoin mining bandwagon and so they started cracking down on the Bitcoin 
mining bandwagon people, and 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 I guess they moved all. It's not all the people gets free electricity; it's the mosques get free electricity. All the Bitcoin miners are moving into the mosques over there. They do they do two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, even in whatever capacity they're able to generate mining Bitcoin over there. It said in the article. So though we're right on the precipice, man. This is. Uh, Many of us, let me just say this, many of us have waited many years for what's about to unfold in front of us. I don't know whether I have, because I actually don't know what's about to unfold. Well, I'm talking about in the financial, I mean, strictly in the financial <laughs> thing. Strictly, now the rest yeah. of it, I don't know that we ever dreamed that we would see them have such weak foundations and be exposed uh, as they have been uh, 25 years ago. I don't believe I could have envisioned that, but it, it's it's really refreshing to see it happening. And it's like we started the show with: they're their own worst enemies. Good Lord, get less less clone. AOC. Let's send 10 of her out there to make a total ass out of herself every time she opens her mouth. Somebody's asking her some technical question the other day and she goes, well, I don't know, five years ago I was a bartender. (laughs) I know. But Roger, there's a a slight worrying aspect. I mean, it's not that that's not amusing, right? But I've got this slightly, um, there's something concerning to me. And I shouldn't really let it concern me, I suppose. I mean, it's, this is nothing new. I was involved in a conversation with somebody about this thing as well. It's, it's the, you understand what you're talking about, right? I understand what you're talking about. Most of the listeners here know what you're talking about. Now, I would suspect uh, that we don't have many listeners under the age of 20, just as a guess, possibly, right? Yep. And if you, this is not that there aren't bright people in these generations, but the problem with it is it's always to do with the great mass of cultural conditioning that is the issue. And you've got a situation, I think, anyway, where what used to be a reasonably intelligent level of discourse between people, seriously, I don't know whether it exists or not. It's difficult the, the to fact have that it. You can get the joke about AOC is great. I get it too. I suspect a lot of people are not getting it. You know, because we look at these statements that they're making and we go, well, this is glaringly obvious that they're obviously sandwiched short of a picnic, these people. But to a huge number of people, it's not glaringly obvious. And that's the bit that chills me to the bone. Um, And I've noticed it even amongst, you see, culturally, as I've grown up, I've just existed with a lot of highly cynical, toxic-mouthed Englishmen, uh, which I'm very used to, because it's a sign that they're, they're alive on some level and completely dismissive and abusive of those in power. This is beginning to stop. I see a lot of sort of dreamy dorks floating around going, everything's wonderful, it's all going to be great. And I'm going... Ooh, I'm very worried now. You know, there's a lack of reality or an, a, a, well, an ability to apprehend the truth of these statements. I mean, they're just, they're bizarre. I, I will tell you, uh, I saw a headline that's kind of refreshing for what you're talking about. Daryl's going to join us here, which is always a pleasure. Uh, in the uh, some surveys like Gallup poll or whatever, the younger generation is losing their patience with the LGBT trans community. I think that's a good sign. Hey, Daryl. Hey, good morning, uh, Roger, Paul, uh, Chris, morning, Daryl, everybody. Yeah, man, we're all here. Good morning. Yeah, I. Hey, uh, I was I was laying back here for the first hour and listening, and uh, you were sandbagging on us. Paul started talking about. Yeah, I was actually. 
I was listening to Paul there, and uh, well, he provokes me again. And uh, sorry. <laughs> well, I, I count on it. I, I actually, <laughs> the, the coffee didn't seem to work this morning. You wake uh, up, don't you, on Wednesday, I, going, I'm feeling a bit bleary-eyed, but don't worry, I, Roger will on me soon, and I'll soon get right. wound up about something. Paul will touch me somehow. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been up since 4 o'clock, and I can't seem to wake up, but you got me going. And uh, so <clears throat> I, I've been, you, you brought this topic up, and uh, I've been doing my own unofficial um, review of, people's mentality so i've been uh, in awareness situational awareness and perspectives and um i, I listen to a wide variety of uh obtuse groups of people and uh, not only locally but on the internet just to get a gauge of okay where are they at on my own um time I, I i haven't been looking at a lot of polls i just been watching lots of groups of people and uh they don't get it my point of view is they that they don't get it uh, and so we have a lot of I, I heard you talking earlier about liberals well okay so we sort of pretty much get that they don't get it and then i listen to the people that call them conservatives and they're not even conservatives no. They're neocons. They're no neoconservatives. Liberals. And if you ask a conservative, if you ask a conservative, what's the difference between a conservative and a neoconservative? They start to drool. Their, their nose runs and they drool a little bit. They call you racist. They can't articulate. They call you racist. They can't articulate the difference. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I. They. They can't. They really. I, and I'm not even being facetious here. They literally do not have the. Um, capability to uh, even generally uh, articulate the differential between a neocon and a conservative. Uh, and just it's just yeah. completely off the table to go any farther than that. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's Well, I do. Pretty, I, th I think people, Daryl, I think what you're saying in a way, people get stuck. They can't think often, not everyone, but huge numbers of people tend to not be able to think past the barrier of the label. They get stuck at the label, you know, like liberal or oh, conservative, yeah. all this kind of stuff. I yeah. mean, they go, oh, yeah, there are really conservatives. I go, no, there aren't. There aren't any conservatives. No. Basically, See, liberals they're... are just turbocharged lunatic liberals, and conservatives are just go slow liberals. What? I said it's all about supposed progressivism. No one's actually doing a sort of rain check and going, hang on. We're using this word progress. Is that what is that what is actually taking place? I would suggest it isn't, of no. course. Um, uh, discuss amongst yourselves and let's come up with a counter-argument to it. But everybody just thinks that. I'll give you an example as well. This is kind of off-beam, but last week I'm sat next to a young girl. It doesn't happen to me often. I'm actually out at a tennis match, and I didn't know her, and she's talking to her boyfriend, and she's talking about London and how great it was. And I turned to her, not in a vicious way. I just wanted to know what would come back i said i said do you, do you live in london she said yeah it's great i said what acid attacks are great she and she there's this look of death came over her face. She, <laughs> she just died basically she died on me uh, 
at that point, uh, basically, the look on her face, I knew I wasn't going to be saying much more because there was going to be no point. All the shutters, everything came down. The whole physiognomy changed, right? Everything. She said, it's not like that everywhere. It's fantastic, is London. I said, okay. Okay. And that was it. I, I, did, I could. There was no point in me carrying on. Do you see what I mean? Now, people yeah. just basically can choose whatever they want to, their reality to be. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It, it just is the case. People, and, and young people seem to be highly selective. She obviously, my impressions of her, she seemed great, basically, as a person. But I just thought, okay, there's... There's no appreciation of the fact, love, is if I was being patronising, <laughs> you're potentially under threat from being some innocent passerby as one of these lunatics kicks off because it's going on all the time, right? And we've had these sorts of discussions and actually dovetailing into a sort of bigger view of it. One thing that happened over the last week, um, I've not been able to track down the quote from John Cleese, the comedian, because he said something about London. Oh, that's good. Used, yeah. He actually used that word. But the Dalai Lama, turns out, is my best mate because somebody sent me a text saying, Paul, the Dalai Lama's on your side. I said, about bloody time too. What's he been saying, you know? And... Um, <laughs> So there's this, there's this quote from the Dalai Lama, and of course all the girly men are all sort of weeing their pants in the newspapers about it. We can't say this, and here's what he said, and it's, it's, it's straight. I, I completely, it's really the, the way my thinking has been for a couple of years. He goes, um, "You can't let Europe become African and or Muslim." This is the gist of it. I'm paraphrasing. You can't, you can't do that. He said, "I think it's." I said, "On one level, it's great." Uh, and highly honourable that the Europeans have allowed refugees who are in distress to come and stay there. But they can't stay there forever. This is what he said. He said they shouldn't be there at all, really, is the gist of it. He said, but what Europeans could really do to help the situation is educate them with new skills or whatever is necessary and then have them go home so that they can make a better fist of it when they get home. And I've gone... There you go. There it that's is. That's called there it is. common sense. You see, that's it. And yeah. what that does is it takes out. Teach a man a to fish. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't say even teach a man. Go, look, we want to help them. And why are you wasting all this money? <laughs> well, we know why. You know, I'm making a sort of simplistic argument. We here know exactly why all of this sort of chain reactions going on is to completely sort of obliterate any sense of Western Christian Europe. You know, and, and if left unchecked, that's exactly what it's going to do. Uh, that's why we are disempowered in all sorts of ways. But when the Dalai Lama comes out, you, you're going, hey, the D Dalai Lama's my best did I mention the other week? I don't know if I did, right? My mate, um, uh, who's currently suffering with a few things, but years ago, uh, over here we have pubs, as you know, and one of the traditional cultural events in pubs has been pub quiz night. I don't know if you have them over there, but you do. So sure. somebody forms Trivia. a sort of little team and they ask all these general, yeah, general knowledge questions and people are in little teams of two and three. He's on a team, this is years ago, right, in North London. <laughs> He's on the team. And the question was, who is the spiritual figurehead of Tibet? And the guy that he was with wrote down on the paper, dial a llama. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went, yeah. That's that's the team I want to be on. I want to be on that team with that guy. I want to dial a llama. So the uh, the dial a llama has come good. We called him up and he stepped in and he said, "This is how you deal with it." And of course, they're all they've all got their knickers in a twist. But it's complete sense. It's logical. It's decent. It's good for everyone. It's the way to go. We, you know. So they put in. Yeah, of you can. I've said a lot. Sorry. <laughs> um, in response to Daryl's 
uh, proposition earlier. I'm listening to a quote-unquote Christian radio station this morning driving to work, and my daughter's with me. And the Christian law firm of blah, blah, blah comes on as a sponsor. And I look at her and I said, is that even possible? The called out ones who engage in activities that are only engaged in by the uncalled out ones (laughs) are sponsoring this program. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, it's so subtle. They don't have a clue that they are saying two things that are basically incomparable, in, in mutually exclusive. You, you can't be in this world and not in this world at the same time, but yet they're claiming to be a Christian, which the, uh, you know, part of the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, they're part of the church. They're the, they're the Christian law firm, which you know is steeped in all kinds of garbage with statutes and regulations and nothing to do with positive law. And I just looked at her and I said, is that even possible? An, equivo- an equivocation. <laughs> but, you know, most people well, wouldn't even Bob, the possibility. An equivocation, Bob. An equivocation. Yes, Daryl oh, and Patrick joined us, too. Hey, yeah, Garrett, Daryl? Well, that, that actually, uh, uh, a Christian law firm in, in to use the Lord, uh, Yeshua, Yoyah, in that way, is to use his name in vain. That is, yeah. that is that is that is blasphemy, and uh, I I just really believe that uh, you better be very careful. You need to. This goes for everybody. You need to take strong pause, listen carefully. You know, like Paul says, there's times when somebody says something, and you should take pause, think about it carefully. Be careful when you use that name and attach it to something else. Be very careful. That's all I'm going to say. That's serious stuff. Well, you know, and well, I will to, say, in to defense, further what you said, Daryl, to further def- what you said, Daryl, here just about a month ago, it came up in my adult Sunday school class, uh, you know, something about using the Lord's name in vain, and I sat there and stewed for a moment, you know, I didn't want to poke the hornet too much, but on the other hand, I couldn't stand it, and I said, well, don't you think that the simple act of saying the Lord's name in vain, as it's commonly phrased, you know, a GD, isn't that a little elementary? I mean, come on. So if we can avoid saying that, we're not taking his name in vain? I said, I would propose to you that it has absolutely nothing to do with that, but we are programmed to think it does, because it's very legalistic. It's very law-legal, but it's not what's the point is, when you do something in somebody's name, you're doing it in their authority. You have their imprimatur. You have their sanction. You're an emissary. To take the Lord's name in vain is to do things and say you're doing it for him when it's absolutely anti-Christ. And there's just this hush in the room. It's like, well, hmm. I'm not sure what to say about that. And they basically just glossed it over and kept on going. Hopefully they hopefully <laughs> they hopefully they ruminated on it a little bit, Bob. Well, I'm pretty sure they did, but you know. Anyway, it's just so frustrating. Oh. People 
are willing to take these little sound bites. I mean, I've been trained my whole They're, life, basically, by this concept it, of, you know, taking the Lord's name. Oh, if you just don't cuss, you're not taking his name in vain. That is so foolish. It's, it's and I'm really, using the term very liber- literally. It's a form of conditioning. And you'll notice Absolutely. that the media trains you in a form of response. Because how many people, we all are out there talking to folks about this stuff. Conspiracy theories. Rock, rock, rock. Polly want a cracker. Rock, rock. And you just hear it's like people ask me, do you, do you think what people think? I, my experience is most people don't think. Most people respond exactly. because they're programmed. Most people react. Yep. They just react. Yep. Well, let me, uh, Bob, let me uh, let me just follow that up for just a moment with uh, this statement. And uh, I think this is something that uh, literally is worthy of being written down. Uh, and here it is. Uh, what I'm observing uh, is that people are quite happy to modify their belief system in order to fit their behavior. And this is this is uh, this is going on all over the place. Uh, whether it's in science, uh, that's their belief system. Whether it's in uh, religiosity, that's their belief system. Whether it's in uh, Christianity, uh, it's their belief system. Whatever the philosophies are, they are willingly modifying their belief systems to fit their behavior. As in, uh, since we're talking about. Um, contradictions uh you know a christian sodomite okay so i've modified my belief system the mayor of south bend so that i can yeah so i can i can i can modify yeah i could i can modify the belief system my philosophy he's a christian he says he he espouses that he's a christian all the while wanting you to celebrate and endorse him for him celebrating the fact that his anus is a sex organ okay uh this is not okay we have you know you have to call this out and i i, I just but want you to mention bob you're racist you're racist when they say when they say <laughs> when they say when they say you're intolerant and uh, and say thank you, you. thank uh, them thank them and and ask them yeah yeah <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and ask them if they figured that out in the first minute or it took them five minutes. Okay, and, and you say you just wanted to give them a you just you just want to give them a social IQ score. Okay, <laughs> listen, you have to start. You, you you have to start. You have to listen. If you're getting beat up in a fight, it's probably because the other guy is really good, or you don't know how to fight. And and uh, that's why. Uh, I like the Dalai Lama. I'm with Paul. I love this guy. I want to be on his team too. I want a Dalai Lama too, and and which is you know and 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 so then you could put that in a diorama. And I I just uh, well uh, I've dialed. I, I've got two. I don't know you, about you. You want a Dalai Lama diorama? Is that what you're saying? This girl, yeah, we got something going here. Well, well, I do. Well, I don't know. I don't know about dialing one, but two of them have dialed us. So let me recognize them. One of them's Patrick, and the other one's Mr. Right. Howard, Mr. Brian Howard. So Patrick was first. Hey, Mr. P, how you doing in Memphis? I'll just. Being who it shouldn't be, seeing who it shouldn't be. 
Um, you know, about what Paul was talking about, uh, uh, you know, the sub-races, I mean, the Constitution, when it said all men were equal in this land 250 years ago, it was talking about the Anglo-Saxon white race at that time. I don't believe it goes to the sub-races, but um, I've, I've heard, and I don't know if it's true, Paul, but have they infiltrated Ireland pretty good, or they backed up uh, to the tens? Have they consumed them well, yet? Uh, I was reading an article the other day that it's holding lineage that the, uh, the scale's tipping the... Uh, the, the sub is uh, uh, way. It's, it's, it's out of control over there. It's tragic, you know, because when I grew up here, um, uh, looking at Ireland, Ireland was always deemed to be, at least they'd held out as the Irish, you know, as the slow but sure uh, onslaught began here. But they've just completely blown it to bits. I mean, you've got to understand they've got a Pakistani sodomite as a prime minister in Ireland. Wow. Right. Now, now, when you actually stand back and just whatever you might think about that, and you can tell by my words what I think about it, but um, uh, what does that individual have in common with Irish families? Nothing. He's absolutely their enemy. His, his priorities, his aims, whatever they are, whatever you want to call them in life, are completely contrary to and opposed to the well-being of the Irish people. It's got ridiculous. There's also, there's a journalist over there that I follow. She's called Gemma Doherty, and she was a really well-established uh, journalist, I think, in one of the top, uh, the quality papers. She's, she's had enough. She's become... Uh, with regards to the establishment, persona non grata, but she's fantastic. And she speaks it. She has a YouTube channel. I don't know how long she's going to last, but she's basically going around saying, look at what is happening to our nation. It's being destroyed, which, of course, it is. And uh, we have to get together with the Irish. <laughs> I keep Because I, I, I know some good Irish people. I said, look, I know, I know the history between our people. I said, but I want you to know, as far as I'm concerned, we're all in this together. And, uh, you know, whenever we meet people and connect, the history of these islands is one of continual scrapping between the Scots and the English and the Irish and the Welsh and so on and so forth. But we've got to come together. And uh, it's ridiculous what is happening in Ireland, Patrick. It's it's heartbreaking in, you know, I, I'm actually, my heart's more broken for them than it is on my, it's the English way, right? We, we, we don't have anything. We don't have an English parliament, but the Scots get one, the Welsh get one, the Northern Irish. We don't have we don't have a thing, but we're still thinking about everybody else in the island because I want us all to be together. I'm not playing my violin too badly, I hope, but... Uh, Island Island needs yeah. needs something, and uh, what's what's what it really needs, of course, is the communication to say the things that we are touching upon here does not occur in the public space. This is the whole problem. All it takes for evil to win through is for good men to say nothing, and people are not saying the right things. They're terrified of saying stuff. Well, they They're get labeled with all of these labels so viciously, and they shrink into a corner. And Daryl has the right exact. They call you something, so what? Yeah, let's get back to the issue. You can bring a discussion. Of course, I know you can't have a discussion with these people because they shriek. They don't want to deal with facts. That's why they're taking the tactic they're using. Yeah. Hey, Paul. Yep. 
you mentioned John Cleese and his comment from several weeks ago. Why don't you elaborate on that? Because a lot of people probably don't know what you're saying, and I really admire him for not backing down and saying no. <laughs> he's I one of exactly uh, what I said. He was one of Monty Python. Well, he's, he's, he's he was one of everywhere. Yeah, wasn't he Cleese a is the guy, guy from Python. Yeah, uh, a great childhood hero of mine because I was raised on that stuff. All right, I was only nine and ten when it began on TV, but believe you me, staying up at night watching the naughty bits was a great thrill of my life when I was about eleven or twelve, <laughs> and. Uh, I grew up with that. I actually learned more about history from Monty Python than I did in history class at school yeah. because all of their historical <laughs> references are absolutely bang on. They're totally accurate. Uh, that's because they had Terry Jones who had a history degree from uh, Oxford or something. and th So it's all planned out accurately. Loved it. Absolutely tremendously they, English sort of thing, the whole thing. In the Holy uh, Grail. We don't, we don't have much like that left. In yeah. the Holy Grail, but, they uh, actually have an oath of fealty in that in that movie that's you know dead right on <laughs> they do they do they have a lot of things in the holy grail they have they have what to me is one of the great sketches of all time which is the constitutional peasant which is about three or four minutes long <laughs> he's saying how do you get to be king i didn't vote for yeah you. i've you seen i've vote. seen that you don't vote you know that one it's <laughs> yeah. fantastic yeah. you don't vote for kings <laughs> and uh, listen mate strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government i mean i just <laughs> sorry it's just right up my street i love all that stuff anyway cleese back to cleese uh cleese basically i suppose most of his life not that I've paid too much attention to it, would be classed as a pretty decent liberal sort of guy. But about three or four years ago, he was uh, just recorded casually. There's a YouTube video. This is not to do with what he said recently, which I don't have in front of me, unfortunately, Bob. But um, he basically made a comment that he was going around London, this would be about four or five years ago, with an American colleague. And uh, he said it was fine. He said it was full of it, very interesting. But the American guy turned to him and said, where are all the English people? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you know, he, and, and Cleves was being quite diffident and tactful as he was talking to this established journalist. And he said, and he said, don't get me wrong. He said, you know, I think it's interesting, all the vibrancy and stuff. He said, but, but when the arrivals of all these people overwhelms the host culture, you've got to think that something's not quite right. Well, I believe that recently he's gone even further and he's used the word Londonistan, which is what it is. <laughs> uh, which is why I say it's a complete whole of S-H-I-T, because it, it is. It's not what it was when I used to go there. You won't find Cockneys anymore. They don't exist like that. All this sort of Walt Disney view of Mary Poppins stuff, you can kiss that goodbye. It's a complete... It's a joke. And it's not only a joke, it's a vicious, foul joke, because there are stabbings aplenty now, the weapon of choice of our new enriching enriching tribes as they come in here, and there's acid attacks everywhere. They're just throwing acid all over one another, and there are innocent people getting scarred for life with this kind of stuff. I, I believe gunning these people down in public wouldn't would help. You know, that's my, that's my kind of uh, response. But then they all need to be deported, the whole lot. And... Um, uh, that's really what's going on. So Cleese has come out and stepped up to the plate a bit more, received a great deal of uh, abuse for it, you know, because this is terrible, because it's not going along with the agenda. And really the reason I suspect that this goes on, it's like this autonomous response of any organism or organised group that recognises the go, oh, someone's betraying the cause here. We must wipe them out quick before this spreads. Yep. But they won't be able to do it because this is occurring at the very foundation of people's being. What's occurring is people going, we're not going to have this. That's what's actually already occurred. The decision's yet to come to the surface, but the Brexit thing, the abuse by the elite, people are just going, 
know that you've, you've got this building knownness going on with what's taking place and it's inevitable and probably unavoidable where it may go. The politicians could still save the day, but seeing as how they caused all this mess because they're all intellectual prostitutes and also a bit thick, you know, these are people who whose ego has led them into these positions of power where they're all manipulable. The real controllers have got something on all of these people, which is why we don't have true representation. But then it's scary times, you know, it is scary times. But but Cleese is stuck by his guns. And there's another guy worth mentioning, not that I like him. Um, there's been a pop star over here for years called Morrissey. Who, and... Uh, uh, they all, the, the music press have loved this guy for years. I haven't. He's not my kind of cup of tea at all. Uh, but interestingly, he's come out basically as a nationalist, which uh -oh. has absolutely shocked Jeez. and terrified all the loveys in the music industry. Yeah. Your industry, Roger. Yep. Shit. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll, get his, they'll get his contract yanked or, or, or something. They'll put him in the background. I mean, they're... Yeah, there are people, I've read these comments, good. I've been a fan of his, his sensitive music, you know, spoke to me when I was an adolescent and all this, and now he does this. Now, I don't know what to do. I've got to get rid of all my record was a, collection. Well, there was a guy, was, there's a very there was a very talented musician years ago in our in, in our movement called Steve Vaughn. Many oh, of you remember? Uh, Stevie on the guitar player? No, 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 and I, I might have his name wrong, but so Stat Miller still uses it. We got to take America back, that guy. I thought it was that, but I'm getting them confused. Anyway, he had a contract with RCA, and he started writing all this Patriot stuff. Shit, RCA dropped his contract. Um, Daryl, I wanted to thank a listener, too, because the other day we were talking about something, and I could not remember a guy's name, a senator from Oklahoma, the one who did his own flying, Daryl, and when he got there, they said, well, you're lucky you landed because your propeller thing was off. Uh, his name was Imhoff. Imhoff. Yeah. That's why I was I spaced it because I yeah. was thinking it started with an E, but it starts with an I. So I want to thank the listener that sent yeah. that in. Okay. Yeah. Well, I the the guy I was thinking about when you in the lead up in that conversation was Paul Wellstone out of yeah. Minnesota. Yeah, of course. Who uh, who was who was taken out by the uh, I don't know what do you call him the uh, cryptocracy. Uh, they took him out, uh, even though he was a Democrat. Uh, he was uh, he was trying to do uh, important things, and uh, they they took him out on a uh, twin engine. Uh, it was a twin engine turboprop. Yep. So and family too. Was so, his family with him? Yeah. King Air. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you yeah. know, I heard Jim yeah. Sinclair on one of those uh, interviews he does with Bill Holter occasionally. We see. That they, and and at the end of it, he started talking. It came out in the conversation. His wife had died in a plane crash, and he was supposed to be on the plane, and he couldn't go for the la at the last minute. And buddy, I he didn't come out and say it, but you could tell from his tone that that drives him to do a lot of what he does. So, uh, yeah, that's one of their favorites, man. They like those plain things. They're pretty untraceable. They got a lot of plausible deniability, and they like that. Brian Howard, how are you doing today, my friend? Yeah. Hey, I'm doing good. Good morning, Roger, uh, Paul, uh, Daryl, Patrick. I was just going to tune in. I heard uh, a topic that I love to chime in on, and that's called his name. So I wanted to bring a little clarity to the conversation of, of uh, 
um, without offending anybody, without um, kind of trying to get away from this mind, the Christian mindset, which is basically a, re- a religion that was created by the Marcion and Pisos family and instituted by a Roman uh, pagan, <clears throat> um, uh, what do you want to call it? Basically just a, a family, you know, for hundreds of years, they, they plotted and schemed how to how to distort the Tanakh or the Torah, what some people want to call the Old Testament, but that was by crafty design to call it old and new because nothing new under the sun. But give me one minute and let me just blow through this. So when we talk about his name and we go to the third, uh, we go to the commandments, which is Exodus 20, uh, starting at Exodus or Shemoth in the Hebrew, Exodus 20. Uh, go down to seven, and this is a one of the Ten Commandments, actually the fourth. You do not bring the name of Yahuwah, your Elohim, to naught, for Yahuwah does not leave the one unpunished who brings his name to naught. If you go to the Hebrew concordance and look these words up, what does not mean? It means to diminish, lessen, change, mm-hmm. alter. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just want to, and without offending anybody, the word L-O-R-D, uh, you need to look that up. It's Baal in Hebrew, a pagan deity. worship. As well as G-O-D is Guth, Got, a pagan deity from the Nordic tribes uh, and the Edomites. So, <laughs> you, I, Paul, we, we, we definitely disagree on it, but whatever. I mean, I'm going to be respectful, but uh, just I'm just regardless of, you know, where we think all the tribes went, um, the name is, you know, I mean, we – there's no point in disagreeing on that, but very, very simple. They, they've changed the names. They've altered it. They've taken the, the true name of the creator, the Most High Yah, out of the scriptures, uh, I think over 6,800 times. Uh, they changed these, yep. but I would highly recommend anybody with an ear that you start to diligently research just who this Marcion and Pisos family are and just who created uh, and influenced part of what we you would call the New Testament. It, it will blow your mind. But uh, I would I would warn you, uh, leave what you think you know at the door when you start that journey. Uh, but anyways, I just wanted to chime in. I did hear something uh, about sub races, which is kind of interesting. If we go back to Shem, Ham, and Japheth, uh, if we do believe in the scripture and, and we do believe that Noah got on a boat and three of his boys were commanded to then go replenish the earth, well, those three boys—that's where your—that's where your research needs to start of of who everybody came from, uh, without going down the road or whatever. Just Shem, Ham, and Japheth. What does the scripture say? Where did they go? And what's the evidence show of, of who these folks are? And I'll I'll uh, back out and listen in and, and join the conversation. All righty. Well, I like the sixty-six that. books. I call it the sixty-six books, not the. Uh not the Bible or the New Old Testament. They left 14 out and plus hundreds of others, if you really study. You bet, the uh, Apocrypha. That's, the Apocryphal books. Yeah, the Apocrypha. Yeah, yeah. That, but you know, uh, it'll I, explain a lot. But I, uh, I wanted to ask that. That came up in something I was watching the other night, and I couldn't get my arms around exactly that I know what that is. I know those books are considered to be that under that label and that they were taken out somewhere along the line. What is the Apocrypha? Does anybody really have a handle on that? I was going to ask Brent about this, but as long as it's come up today. The Apocrypha, look up the definition. There's over actually 118 books that are missing. 
Uh, there's a tremendous amount of books that Enoch wrote. Yes. Remember, Enoch didn't die. Yeah. He said he basically went to be with the Most High. He took him. Um, there were a ton of books from Enoch, which hides uh, when we get into this discussion of skin color. Just look up look up the definition of Enoch when he was born. Okay, that, that'll, that's a journey right there. What does the scripture say? Why did they hide these books, first of all? And I can, I'll can i tell you right now why they hid them, because they don't want you to know what's real and what's well, not. obviously. And they hid literally everything, including the calendar, how we tell time, uh, this new pagan system that we're under, basically called the uh, 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 Gregorian and the Julian calendars. Basically, just study those. It, it's, a, it's a masterful design by the ultimate devil, the, the liar himself. Um, but, you know, I've uh, always thought about the sacking of the library at Alexandria and, 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 and who sacked it and did they get, how much did they get out before it was sacked and where is that stuff now? And I've always felt that when we do get a glimpse into the bowels of the Vatican one of these days, that there's going to be some of that kind of stuff there. I don't know if I told you all this story or not. This is secondhand, okay? But in the early days... I had a really good female listener whose husband is one of the, probably retired now, a real big guy in Hollywood. He had totally revamped Hollywood in a certain way they handle films. And uh, he had five offices around the world. And he was always traveling and going on location to where they were filming. And um, he told her he was at a location in Rome, on, on location at a film they were doing in Rome, and he got a private tour in that capacity of the Vatican. And when they took him underneath the Vatican, he said they have a solid 100% pure gold carriage down there. Probably so. I got a lot more than that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, but the catacombs, there's just catacombs and catacombs of nothing but old documents down there. Uh, we don't even know how big it is, but supposedly one of these days it gets open. So we'll just see. It's going to be real interesting. But that, if you want to look back at a tragedy in the world, in the world's history, that sacking of the library at Alexandria had to be a, a really gigantic candidate for one of the worst. Yes. I've got a book actually on my shelf, which I've got to get around to reading called, um, it's something, what's her name? Uh, a British authoress. Summit Nix, N-I-X, I think is her surname. I've had it for about six months, but I just had a chance to read it. But it's about the, uh, supposedly the Christian destruction of the ancient world when Christianity first began. But of course, these words, you've got to be very careful with them because, uh, well, I try to, you end up going around and ending up your own orifice, as it were, if you don't watch what he's got. You know, when you use the word Christian, it means so many uh, things to so many different people well, that I find it's almost useless to use it. You are, um, you're, I wanted to say this earlier. One thing I've understood from the legal aspect of this over studying it so deeply for so many years is what they do is to, to accomplish it. They always use at least two steps to accomplish and they set you up and they condition us with these generalities under these labels that can mean anything. And then when they're going to come back at you, they come back at you with a specific. 
So the the generalizations are a setup, and the specifics are how they get you. And you, you know, when you understand that, you got a way to fight these guys and understand what they're doing. But that's why most people just cower if they use these uh, politically correct labels that they're throwing around. I mean, it's all identity politics. It's just all the biggest bunch of crap I've ever seen, and it just reemphasizes what we're dictated to do. If you want to go back and look at all the scriptural stuff, we're dictated to come out of her. It says specifically, don't fight her. Come out of her. Come out of her, my people. It says it twice. Yep. Yeah. It's knowing quite how to do that is why we're having these discussions, isn't it? Don't you think to some degree? I was thinking the other day, you know, Every day, there's four yeah. pillars of freedom, and it, and and they're not necessarily in this order because they can vary. If you're in bad health, that one takes precedence, okay? But political, financial, spiritual, and health, those are the four pillars, and we strive to achieve some kind of, of closure with all of them, I think, here. I have, and that's what I try and t- talk about with everybody and, and, and try and see if I can uh, give people incentive to try and do that in their lives. This is an empowering process. It's just, it's come up again and again lately. It's not an event. It's a process. If you're new to this, it probably will go on with you the rest of the time you're on this earth, okay? Because it don't happen overnight. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you, Roger. I mean, I think, you know, this the process of inquiry into the past why do we do it? I've often, you know, I ask myself this. I, you know, half of it, it's not even a question because I'm so uh, earlier on just compelled. You know, one has this uh, curious itch that you have to scratch. But why w- Why do we do that? I suppose, you know, I've thought, well, if I have, logically, if I have a better understanding or a true tracking of the unfolding of events from the past, it should huh, assist me to be a more effective decision maker today. Um, And then you realize that there is so much information, there's so much that I hit a point where, um, and this, whether anybody hits this point or not, I just think this is self-evidently true. It's not going to be possible to know all of these things. It's not, I'm not going to live long enough to be able to do it. Uh, There's not enough time left. And so I am, by definition, always going to be unaware of things, whatever it is. One seeks to obviously remove your uh, unawareness of stuff, to fill in the gaps as best you can. And some of us, of course, are determined to use every waking hour that we can. And we're commenting often, are we not, on those people around us that can't be bothered to lift a finger to inquire about the past and just live for tonight's ball game which sometimes is, makes me quite jealous, actually, because I think it's not, a bad, it's not a bad way of going about things if you want sort of instantaneous supposed happiness. But, but the more I look at what I don't know, is that thing, you know, as you acquire this process of acquiring knowledge, the more you become aware of how much you're never, ever going to acquire. Yeah, You're not you going to do it. You can't do it all. You've got to specialize. And that's why Brian was going into all of that stuff he was into there. And you got to take a lot of time and a lot of dedication to do, dig that, that information. And that's fine if that's the way, if that's the way your spirit is telling you to go. But, and we've all got different callings, you know. Um, but uh, uh, it's just important because you've only got so much time. Remember, you can take everything a man's got. You can take his wife, his house, his job, his bank account. You can clean him out. And he can replace all of it. But if you steal his time, it's taking something he can't replace. 
It's important. Well, it's true. Especially as you get well, older. Okay. At least we, yeah. At least we perceive it that way, Roger. That you know. But I, what I was going to – the sort of the point of this sort of getting to that understanding of things, if it is an understanding, is in spite of the fact that I've not known a lot of stuff, I'm still alive. Yep. And and I mentioned this because that reaffirms my conviction in the higher forces that are looking after me and everybody else as we bumble along in this state of spiritual ignorance or unawareness seeking to remove it it's a it's a tremendous sort of challenge and it may be that we make a lot of wrong decisions you know and i i remember someone telling me about decisions they think he, he was he used an analogy that basically said, look, it's a bit like you're on a train. You make a poor decision, but you're not aware of it, and you go down the wrong fork on the switches on the track. And it's running parallel to the track that you're supposed to be on. And you suddenly realize you're on the wrong track. And what you want to do is you want to just jump across on the other track, but you can't because you've got to take the train with you. You've got to stop, back up, wind all the way back, understand where you made the poor decision, and then reset. I think there is the, – yeah. Very good analogy. I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, extremely good no, no, it's analogy. Okay. Uh, and let me, we got, speaking of perspectives, uh, Jim, who is a friend of Brian's, who's relatively new to all this, just joined us. Jim, did you have something to add or what? But I'd like to get your perspective. You're kind of at the stage, I think, where you're still taking a drink of water out of the fire hydrant. <laughs> oh, that is so accurate, Roger. Um, you know, I heard you start talking about, uh, you know, you have to do your own research. You have to make it your own. And I certainly have been learning that, uh, for the last two weeks now, this is really, I've been, been into this now for two weeks. Uh, Brian has given me a lot of help. Uh, he's been, uh, you know, kind of a sounding board as well as I go through and research things on my own. But it's just as I explained to my wife in a different situation, unless you can articulate it and own it yourself, it's not going to make any difference. And what we have right here and what we're talking about relative to the illusions and the lies that have been put upon us as so-called citizens and residents, as I get into this, it's just mind-boggling at times. But at the same time, I am empowered because I have taken the fight up in my own hands. Yeah, and it's going to continue to grow. Let me plant something with you at this early stage. Instead of looking at it as an illusion or vocalizing it like that, and that's accurate, there's nothing wrong with it, I'm just going to give you a better one. And, and our, our, our pilot buddy on here, Daryl, can verify this. It's a simulation. It's a simulation of the way the system used to be that they have very cleverly turned in their favor, but we don't know it. Just like a flight simulator can step in and get in one of the most modern jets and fly it and crash it and everything else and open the door and get out, you know? I can absolutely appreciate that uh, perspective because I, too, myself am a licensed pilot. Okay. So I understand exactly what you're getting at. And, you know, there's a lot of the things, Roger, that you talk about relative to uh, different things that you've been a part of in your life, such as 
you've been very much involved in the music industry earlier in your life. And I've been involved in the music industry myself. Oh. I've done work with people like Greg Allman uh-huh. and, you know, other artists what did you do? of that name. What did you do, Jim, in I what capacity? Guitar. Oh, you play guitar? I, yeah, I play guitar. Uh, today I primarily play bass guitar is what I do All right, now, uh, these days. Now, hold on, hold on, because you got my interest peaked here. You play guitar with Greg Allman? <laughs> yes, sir. Well, you know, Greg Alma was probably the finest slide guitar player that's ever lived. Actually, it was his brother. Dwayne. Dwayne. Yeah, it was Greg. Greg played the keyboard. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm just thinking of that. Back before I got to Atlanta, the guy that helped teach me the record business was this real eclectic guy. You'd have loved him, Paul, because he loved England. He loved Monty Python. He just loved everything British, you know. And he was a jazz drummer, and he was a damn good one, all right. And back in the early days, he used to play rock and roll, and he would go and when the uh, play drums with the Almond Joys when they used to play at Piedmont Park, for nobody knew who they were, Jim. <laughs> oh yeah, Greg. Uh, Greg talked a lot about that. Uh, Greg and I, when we got to know each other, uh, well, it was basically 30 years ago okay. uh, in my life. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, we were, the way I got to know Greg, we were working on a recording project with another artist, kind of, you know, a smaller artist who was trying to, you know, get somewhere. And that's how I got, you know, introduced to Greg. And uh, it turned out that our birthdays for Greg and I were 10 years and one day apart. And so I spent, uh, I spent my 30th birthday with Greg on his 40th birthday. Okay. And cool. that's how he and I got to know him. You, you bonded real good there. Uh, Jim, for the first band I ever worked with was this little band you probably heard of. It's this little three-piece uh, get-up out of Canada called Rush. <laughs> <laughs> they've sold yeah. about 18 gazillion albums worldwide and <laughs> and it was so funny yeah. because i had just moved to atlanta just moved to the big city just got my job and it was the first week i was there and and if they wanted you to cover an act they would send you a, a, a green sheet in the in the mail with the where the who the act was and when they were going to appear and what the venue was and you were supposed to go that meant you had to go see it and then write a report about it and send it back to them and i got that first one of those green sheets and this band had been on the road because they travel 250 nights a year and uh they're in the yep. early days especially and so they their management had signed a contract while they were on the road and so the next stop boom they got the new label and i was the new guy and so we had a very warm friendship for the first uh, four years of their career there i used to travel with them and kiss because they warmed up for kiss all over the place and i'd have them in five uh-huh. cities birmingham atlanta charlotte and fayetteville you know and uh let me tell you going through the airport with kiss in the 1970s you you walked way far behind them. <laughs> 
I can appreciate that. <laughs> now, this I'll tell you. I'll tell you another. This is just some of these memories that are coming. This was a Kiss memory. It was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and they used to do those shows in a Quonset hut up there, big Quonset hut. Of course, Fayetteville, Paul, you probably don't know this, but people affectionately refer to it as Fayetnam because that's the head army base at Fort Bragg there, okay? And so okay, okay. we're in this big Quonset hut, and I'm standing backstage, and I guess Kiss came back from the show. They, I don't remember if it was, I was standing back there, and they were going to the stage. I think they were going, and Rush had just finished. And they walked by me on one of these upper tiers. You had to go down some stairs to get to the stage from the dressing rooms. And, buddy, they had those black, those leather outfits on. And I'm going to tell you what, it was probably the most atrocious smell that has ever hit me in my entire lifetime. It almost knocked me off the damn catwalk, okay? And I could not imagine those guys going out and doing an hour show in those damn, you know, those leather uniforms that just, I mean, it had knocked a buzzard off a, off a skunk wagon, I'm telling you. Uh, so there's just some of those memories that flash back. But, Jim, I'm glad to know that. You and I have to talk about that on the side sometime. Uh, how are you progressing with our information here is what I think everybody would like to know, and I'd like to get your perspectives here at this early stage in your growth. Well, you know, it, I, I have a hard time to, you know, really gauge how I'm progressing. I, uh, I remember you know, checking out the law of science that uh, you had suggested to me the first time we oh, ever the, si the science of law, yeah. Excuse yeah. me, yeah, the science of law. I'm sorry about that. And so, you know, it is. it has really come so fast, hard, and ferocious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's hard for me to really gauge, but I think what I, what I can say in terms of where I'm at right now is it has made me a student of learning and knowing what in the heck this system is throwing at me. Yep. Um, I just just filed my appeal relative to the municipal uh, case where, you know, they basically, I, I, I don't even have the words to describe, you know, being assessed a $50,000 plus dollar fine for being unable to put a roof on a house. You know, it just, it, it's beyond me, just absolutely beyond me. And so as a part of what I sent as my appeal uh, was an affidavit relative to the uh, illegality and violation of the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution. Um, and as it was as most recently upheld by Tim's v. Uh, Indiana in February of this year uh, relative to excessive fines um, and such. And then I looked at a few other cases that's a, relative to disproportionate punishment. And so I've been learning, I guess, how to search out, you know, what has been done historically in the past. Yeah. I guess that's where I'm at. Okay, well, that's a good a good attack on for in your situation on those guys, especially that recent case, because I know I've seen that come up a couple of places lately. It may have been referring to that same case. Uh, but 
as for our stuff here, I, I would stress to all the people that are new and even the people who have been around for a while, go back and cover that basics of law. I cannot stress how important that is, especially at your stage of this, Jim, because as you go through and you have questions, those are the tools that you'll be able to find the answer with. In other words, those are, if you, it's like you're building a house, you know, you got a toolbox and all those basics of law, that understanding, that substantive law background is what will allow you to go through it like crap through a goose, man. And you work on that stuff and know that, and the rest of it will be much easier for you as you go forward. Be my suggestion. Patrick. Absolutely. No, I agree. Amen. Matter of fact, it was all of the references uh, from your book that, you know, helped me to start to think a little differently about how I looked into things. Let me. And all the references that you made to Supreme Court uh, I can't tell you and stress enough how important it is to be able to accurately use that legal definition of person. That's where they've really got us, okay? Because we don't, it's not that you're not a person, which is all these, what these patriot people want to say. Uh, it's that which person am I or I am not that person, just like the letter I read from Paul the other day. I got a follow-up on that, by the way, from him, an email. But this is the story I wanted to tell you, Jim. I've told it before. John Benson, who uh, is my teacher, the legal mind of this thing that died, you know, we're going to commemorate tomorrow a little bit. Um, um, he, at one point out there, he was in Salt Lake. They were Mormons, both of them. And he wanted to find out about this as he was coming to understand it. And he called up the, uh, it was either Utah State or the University of Utah Law School, one of the two, I don't know which, but he got to the dean of the law school on the phone. And he was telling me, he said, look, I want to come and, you know, enroll and take some classes. And the dean's going, oh, yeah, that'd be great. We'd love to have you and this, that, and the other. And John says, well, you know, listen, I'm particularly interested in the meaning of the word person. And the dean says, oh, yeah, we teach that. We teach it in a course called jurisprudence. It's an elective course. And John said very astutely, when was the last time you taught it? And he said, well, enough students sign up, and uh, I think we taught it uh, four years ago. Now, there's a whole oh, wow. class of law school that never got exposed to the legal concept of the word person, which is used in virtually every statute. Yep. And, and I'm starting to, you know, absorb a little of that. I, I don't have it down, Roger. No, yet. no, no. I, I really no. don't. Hey, but no, I'm you're not. Jim, and you ain't going to have it down for a while, but you work on it every day. Yes, sir, and I do. Okay. So, anybody got anything to add to that? Who's still on? Yeah, uh, Roger. Daryl. Uh, <laughs> Roger. Daryl yeah. and um, Brian, let me just say before you launch, Daryl and Brian are probably the two two of the better students I've had in all the years I've been doing this. So, I'm anxious to hear what Daryl's going to tell you, Jim. Go ahead, Daryl. Well, I... Uh, I, I thought you did a, a phenomenal job there with that, and uh, I just I just had a request is that you use the uh, the term substantive law. Could could you provide Jim with a one word synonym for substantive? Basic. 
Yeah. And see, the thing, and this was the, you know, Daryl, I don't know if we can launch into this. Maybe we can get into it another day. I was going to do it last Tuesday when we couldn't get on couldn't get on the air that day. And that's the little booklet, the law merchant that you sent out. And that guy uses yeah. the word substantive in there a lot, and he interchanges them. And let me see if I can give, since you know the book, the audience might not. We posted it and talked about it. I have had it posted now on my website. On SovereignToSurf.com, over on the right side, is the law mer- uh, introduction to Law Merchant, okay, along with some other stuff that's very important. But that's over there now. And he interchanges those. The way that I understand it, Daryl, is that formula, R plus D equals R. Because that is the substantive law, and that applies to all of those different areas of law. And I think that's why he confuses them and the lines get blurred for him is because he doesn't understand this, okay? Because substantive law is which person are you? And you determine that by where you receive your rights and to to whom you owe your duties. And that determines which jurisdiction you're in. If that, you, if you're receiving rights from that body of law, be it whatever, then you owe the duties there, and you're the, that person. If you're not getting any rights from that, such as we're not getting now under the Fourteenth Amendment, we owe no correlative duties, and therefore we're not that person. That's what I'd consider substantive. Yeah. Well. Um... I, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of a big word. It's it's one word, and I, I really have a problem, my, my, me personally, with reading something, and th- there's a word, and then I go, well, I'll, I'll pick it up later, and I, I, I seldom do that. I always go back and start chewing on it like a dog on a deer bone, and uh, the. Uh, he, he uses substantive law in there and positive law no. and and that I think that leaves most people pretty pretty cold. It does. Uh, except for Glenn Ambord. <laughs> Glenn Ambord and you. <laughs> and uh, uh, so uh, just just briefly, you know, substant substantive it's not sub substantive, it's substantive. Uh, law and uh, it, it really does applies to the uh, the rights and duties. Okay, in contract law and in criminal law and tort laws. Okay, so uh, it it differentiates to procedural law, which would be like uh, uh, pleadings, yeah. uh, laws, uh, law of evidence, and, and equity. So. You know, I I really think that at some point we sort of have to get a, a an updated, good working, uh, columnized graph cheat sheet uh, training aid for you know some of these terms and then categorizing them. So it 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 takes a a five day process and breaks it into five minutes. You know, as far as just grouping these terms. So anyway, and, and that is important. And there's a couple of things in there that I didn't agree with him necessarily on positive law either. But I would encourage everybody to read that little booklet. That guy's done some tremendous research. There's incredible things in there. While I'm talking about it, for folks like you, Jim, over there on the website, sovereigntosurf.com, all spelled out, 
there's another document that would really benefit you if you've got the time is there's a book there, Jim, called Historical Jurisprudence, okay? And it was written in the 1930s. I think it was published at John Hopkins, and it's exactly what it says. That it's a history of jurisprudence. The first 90 pages are on the Babylonian Merchant Code. Read that. Okay. All right. That that is good. Uh, and I've been checking out, you know, the website there as well. Uh, and I and I noticed that you do have those things there. I just with the other things going on. Sure. No. No. You can. Yeah, hey, listen. <laughs> it, it's a process. We all understand that. The other thing that he mentioned, Daryl, was something that I wanted to bring up. I'm glad it came to my mind. Was he said that the law merchant grew out of the medieval fairs. And he said that several times, even quote, used some quotes that said it in there. The whole basis of the medieval fairs was the Babylonian merchant code. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So see, see those fine points yeah. right there that they didn't connect. Yeah, that that was over there, and that was over there in England, Paul. Yeah, yeah, and Europe, <laughs> and Europe, and Europe too. Yeah. But that's a very good Europe, little yeah. booklet, Introduction to the Law Merchant. I haven't read it all. I've read spots of it, and I've I've been I very impressed. It, I haven't read it all either. Just to let you know, Daryl, as yet, I've got it here though. I've got it here. <laughs> oh, all right. I well, thank you. There. Well, listen, I think we're going to whistle out of here in a second. Jim, real glad to have you call in. I want to invite you as you go forward, and I know you're going to hit some of these. If, if, if Brian can't help you out with them, you call in, and we'll deal with them on the air so that everybody learns, okay? That's the important part here. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, that's awesome. I appreciate that. Okay. Uh, what, I wanted to say, what I wanted to say is even, you know, talking about, the Babylonian and the medieval law issues, what got my attention as I was reading some of the cases uh, in preparing my appeal was that they all went back to the Magna Carta. Oh, yeah. Uh, See, all that stuff's there. They can't get rid of it. They got a veneer over it. So uh, there's our little deal. And have you yet talked to John at all, had contact with John on the birth certificate, have you, Paul? No, because he's been up to his proverbials in dealing with this case that was on as of a week, a couple of weeks ago. So I've not had, I had no hair of him. I think he's, he's fighting tooth and nail to try and get some situation that can, okay. uh, that can recover that that well, took place. Maybe yeah. we'll get an update on that pretty soon. Thanks for being with us, buddy, and uh, sure appreciate you in every way, shape, and form. Everybody that uh, involved yourselves, we appreciate you too and those listening. Hope you got something out of it. We'll see you tomorrow on the 4th. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Bye, everyone. Later. Adios. Yeah, see you, Robert. Didn't get to talk to you. Glad you came along. We'll talk to you soon.